Well, you can tell we are getting deeper into the playoffs because every single fan has a bone to pick with every single referee that has officiated one of the games for their team. So let's dive right in. Dan Mahar is the guy over there. You'll find him on Twitter at Dan Mahar. My name is Mike Farwell on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. I'm hearing a lot of noise out of the Eastern Conference, Dan, particularly around the most recent North Bay Barry game where fans are quite upset that they thought that the officiating crew in game two of that series was not up to snuff. I can only look at the game summary and see a total of five penalties called in the game. So I don't think anybody's thinking their team got ripped off. Maybe they're feeling as though there wasn't enough called in their particular game. I think that's exactly it, Mike. The the concerns were that the game was going to get out of control just because there wasn't enough being called. And, you know, there's this whole concept of referees managing games, which is a component. Uh, I mean, I go pretty old school. I, I look at officials and say, just call the penalties. Just call what's a penalty. And sometimes when you don't do that, that old let them play philosophy, really what you're saying when you're saying let them play is you're saying let the team that cheats the most get an advantage. That's <laughs> really what you're saying. So I know no one wants a whistle happy game with stoppages every couple minutes, but you don't get that. If you establish control early by calling the penalties, players smarten up. Uh, and if they don't, they lose. So, uh, so yeah, I think that was the concern, Mike, that there were just probably were a few calls that blatant ones that were let go in that game. See, so I'm going to be that guy then that just allows the team that cheats the best to win because I'm kind of a let them play guy. I would much rather see, I, I would much rather not even really notice the officials. And I know that's asking for an awful lot, but as long as the blatant stuff is taken care of and you know, you, what you don't want is a game that goes relatively penalty free and then late at a critical time in a close game, all of a sudden the whistle comes out for something. But I, I'll just say this. I, I think more than anything, the fact that we're hearing as much about officiating as we are is that fans are fully engaged again in their hockey clubs. Just look at the crowds that we saw in round one of these OHL playoffs. They're they're larger than they usually are in round one. And that was across the league in all eight markets that were hosting or all 16 markets in the in the first round. So I, I think that's good to see. I think that the fans are passionate about their teams and invested in this game again is a really good thing. And I've I've been trying really hard to to step back and try to take that high level view. It is not an easy game to officiate. We've talked about it on this podcast throughout the season. I'll just throw it out there again, mouth guard gate. Like when things are coming down from on high and you got to watch for this and you got to watch for that mid season kind of, okay, here's the new focus or that sort of thing. Oh my, it is, it is tough to not only manage a game, but make sure everything gets called no matter how many sets of eyes are out there. <laughs> Absolutely. And at this time of year, like you referenced, the emotions are high throughout the building. And you look around that building and you see all those thousands of fans and then players and coaches. And there's there's two lightning rods in that building. And those are the ones wearing the iron, orange armbands. And so they're a lightning rod for everything. And and if you've ever officiated anything, you'll quickly know that you can be right and hear it. You can be dead right and hear it. Uh in the course of a 60 minute game with this kind of action, the expectation has to be some things are going to get missed. Some things are going to be borderline gray area. Everyone has their own interpretation and let's face it. 
you can sit there in your chair as a fan and complain all you want, but everyone has a bias and you're going to, you're going to want, want the calls going your way and not want the calls going against you. So who, who's the judge of these things? Well, those two fellows with the orange armbands are, and they've got a really, really tough job to manage all those expectations, all those biases as best they can. Uh, influence is coming from everywhere. They're hearing it all game. So you're right, Mike, it's an absolutely uh, really hard assignment. And I don't think every official is necessarily ready for second round, third round of playoffs with this, this much oversight. So I don't envy them. I'll say, I'll say that much. Twice in my life, I put on the stripes to officiate. Once was in ice hockey, the other time in ball hockey. The ice hockey, I was I was such a young kid, and it was with my group of best friends. We played hockey together all the time, and I just didn't have all the equipment that I needed, so I decided I'm just going to go for a skate, and I'll be your referee for this particular game. And everybody thought this was going to be the greatest thing. Oh, yeah, we'll have some, you know, blah, blah. It's going to be, you know, have somebody to keep an eye on things, this and that. And by the before the game was over, like they were yelling at me. I'm like, guys, like we're best friends out here. What if I put on this white and black Jersey, that's what changes things for you. It was crazy. And then it was the same in, in ball hockey. Many, many years later, I was an adult and, you know, we had a, a season, a tournament with the place I was working. So I was at a lot of games and, you know, got used to the teams and stuff like that. And as the, as we got closer to the championship and, what was on the line, like a hundred bucks in chicken wings at some local restaurant or something, but something was on the line. There was a title to be won. And as we got closer and closer to that final game, let me tell you, there was more and more sniping at poor little old me that was just trying to make sure you stayed on side and you didn't get too aggressive out there on the whole ball hockey floor. So you want to talk about lightning rods. You're absolutely right. Put on the zebra Jersey and you're going to be that lightning rod. Oh, for sure. And I, you know, without going into great gory detail, Mike, we've had the same experience. I've officiated very few games, but uh, I remember officiating, won't say the name of it, a, a charity ball tournament. And one team, they hit a, hit a line drive into the outfield, bent foul, bounced about 10 feet uh, left of the foul line. And they were up and down once both sides of me for calling it foul, saying that, well, it in the air went past the base. And I was trying to explain to them the rule, but the whole team was on me relentless and then just chirping the rest and so there you go it's a case in point this is at a charity slow pitch tournament and they were yelling at me for 10 20 minutes after a call which was 100 percent right um so yeah it's it's a tough thing and everybody should do it before you uh before you start uh chirping but at the same time the, the expectations are very hard these are well-trained officials at the ohl level and well compensated and yeah the, expe- the expectation should be high I might back off a little bit on well compensated. I don't know how well compensated they are for their little part-time gig, but that's, that's a, a point aside. They are very well trained. I love what the OHL is doing with their combine, which is coming back again this summer. And I really do. I hope that we can all take a breath. I know these games matter. And, and I know that again, the fans are so invested in them, but let's remember ultimately, I mean, I haven't seen anything yet. Not one thing have I seen yet where I would look at it and say, okay, that official just determined the outcome of that game. I could be wrong. I, I haven't seen every second of every game so far, but I'm fairly confident in saying that. So sure, is there going to be stuff that gets missed? Fine. But big picture, I think the teams have earned what they have earned to this point. And as fans, we have to remember how difficult that job is out there. And there's not a single person on the ice, player or official who's out there trying to do a bad job. I think it's great that we demand better or demand excellence, but 
let's just let's just remember nobody's out there trying to screw up the game for your favorite team so we'll see if that changes anything as as we go through the second week of round two well yeah and actually mike you just hit on a little dynamic too that comes into play which is no official wants to determine the outcome of game and that actually can make you hesitant to blow that whistle and i think i mean we saw a fairly blatant hook on on ty voight late in a one goal game with sarnia yesterday no call and the fans were incredulous and yeah and look looking back in hindsight looking at those replays it absolutely was an obvious call but the the dynamic there is probably the officials thinking ah it's a one if i call this here this could be deciding the game this could be the end there's four minutes to go in a one goal game this could be it so there's a hesitation there and once you've hesitated as an official for more than a second or two you can't make the call so a lot at play there it's not it's not an easy job but uh, i think that's your bang on mike when you say no one wants to determine the, the game I think that's a a great example to use. And one more thing I'll throw in here, just when it comes back to the pressure. Uh, It was a game that I was a part of because it was a Rangers Spitfires game in round number one, but the Spits had too many men on the ice for a solid 15 to 20 seconds. Everybody in the arena, including 7,000 plus fans knew it. And I, I will say until my last breath, it was the fans in the arena that (laughs) called that penalty because they were making so much noise. The four officials finally realized, Oh, something's not right here. And they sorted it out, but the the fans called that penalty as far as I'm concerned. Well, that's the other thing you got to remember, Mike, is that in any building, when you're in the kitchen auditorium, you've got 7,000 officials. Um, So here's a little tip to the the gentlemen on the ice who are actually officiating the game. If you ever get 7,000 screaming at you all in agreement, maybe they actually do have a point because it it doesn't always happen. We're all 7,000 in unison or and that was a pretty blatant one. So, uh, so yes, you're right. The, the the crowd called that one, but the crowd was right. <laughs> uh, real quick, before we go and and talk about this a little further, because there is one of the league's best rivalries that is underway in this second round, and just like we've seen in so many previous playoff matchups between these two teams, off the ice, it's getting pretty heated as well between coaches and general managers, and it it might just connect to officiating. Before we get to that. Uh, still just staying with the East because we started this talking about North Bay and Barry and the fans wondering why there weren't more penalties called. But I was I was surprised over there. I know I picked this series to go seven, but Barry coming in and stealing that first one from North Bay in overtime, taking home ice advantage away. Thought, okay, good job by you, Barry Colts. Well, and and I think you're looking at the second round, Mike, and we know how many beasts there are in the OHL this year, and you're basically. The ones you've got left are them. Uh, you've got, there's no bad team left. And so I don't think anything should surprise anyone. And I don't think, you're right. It's semi-surprising that Barry could go in there and steal game one, especially based on our predictions. But these are basically heavyweight bouts up and down the league right now. And you should not be surprised when someone gets a shot in because that's how good these teams are. And I expect them all to be close. And for the most part, aside from this London Kitchener thing where it's all blowouts, you're getting really close games. And and I think we'll expect to see more of that. Can we say the same for the Peterborough Peets insofar as, like we talked about in round number one, they were like the enigma sort of, like the Kitchener Rangers in the West, a team that clearly had an eye for a title, but it didn't finish as high in the standings, I think, as as many of us would have guessed they did. But they sweep Sudbury in round number one. And then they win a critical game two to come back home to Peterborough with home ice advantage and winning on the road in Ottawa. I think that says something about this Pete's team right now. 
Yeah, and we talked about them being the the Enigma in the East, right? Be on paper, they were much better than they were delivering for a lot of the year. But when you look at the record, the record is actually still pretty good. They finished top four, so they it wasn't like they were a disaster or totally off the rails. They just weren't quite packing the punch that a lot thought they would after the trades they made. I mean, you bring in Offman and Beck, and you have uh, Avery Hayes and Gavin White. You you make you make some pretty big additions. Uh, I think the one thing we both identified fairly early on though is this team was built for the playoffs. So anything to judge them and anything that happens before the playoffs was definitely premature because they've got that big, solid, rugged defense core that was not going to be easy to score on. They've got terrific goaltending with Michael Simpson back there. And then they've got a whole lot of face-off prowess when you add Owen Beck, uh, a potent top couple lines there. Um, so I, I think we we thought we might see the real Peter Ropeets this time of year, and I think we're seeing that. Great point on Simpson. I think he's the guy that turns out to be a real difference maker in this series for sure. Okay, let's shift back over to the Western Conference and kind of get back on that whole officiating thing. Again, I think it speaks to the investment that fans have in their teams at this time of the season and really in a results-oriented business. And I know that's pretty well-worn as a cliche these days. You know, this is a results-oriented business, but you are measured on your wins and your losses and it matters out there it matters to the players it matters to the coaches it manage uh, it matters to the managers it matters to the ownership it really does and and the stakes get higher the deeper you go and i think we saw that bubble over after game 2 and you said it so well a moment ago the, the biggest disappointment for me if i'm being honest like yes i i grew up in kitchener i broadcast kitchener rangers games I probably have a, a slight bias leaning towards the Kitchener Rangers, but more than anything, I promise you, when I go to a rink 68 nights of the year in the regular season, I want to see good hockey. And and the Ontario Hockey League tends to deliver that on a fairly regular basis. It's pretty surprising to me that the three games so far in the Kitchener-London series have been as lopsided as they've been. But after game two, an 8-4 loss for the Kitchener Rangers – Coach, general manager, Mike McKenzie, minced no words, essentially suggesting that the London Knights get more breaks from the officials because Dale Hunter is intimidating to the officiating crews on the ice. And a younger coach like Mike McKenzie wouldn't get the same breaks as a veteran 900 game winner like Dale Hunter. Pretty bold. And I don't think it's any surprise that those comments cost Mike McKenzie $5,000. No, and I mean, we'll come back to the word that kind of classifies this whole thing, which is gamesmanship, right? And so, and I'm not saying it's all for show. Obviously, there's a lot on the stake here for these guys. There's The pressure's immense. When you talk about losing a game or losing a series in the playoffs here, you, you're you talking about lost gate revenue. You're talking about potential recruitment issues if you don't go as far as you should go. All these things are weighing on a, a, a general manager's head, and that's what Mike McKenzie is. He's a general manager behind the bench. And so he's got all these pressures in. And so when you see things that you feel are a little unbalanced on the ice, and we're talking about following a game where the London Knights had nine power plays to Kitchener's three, and the power play really did the Rangers in that day. I don't think anyone watched that game and said the Kitchener Rangers were a disciplined, smart hockey team that night, and they have to own a lot of their their fate having said that i'm not shocked at all that we'd see some comments from from the coach general manager after the game about that as frustrating as that must be and the the point he made that seemed to rankle the london uh contingent especially gm mark hunter was that 
Dale Hunter seems to intimidate the officials to some degree. And, you know, whether or not that's fair, um, we'd be naive to think there isn't a bit of a dynamic there. You've got a, we talked about how decorated Dale Hunter is uh, with his exceeding 900 wins with his NHL history. I mean, he's pretty uh, important figure in the hockey world and and holds a lot of sway in the OHL with with the power the the most uh they bring the most revenue into the league with their the operation in London they're they're a powerhouse pretty much every year I'm not saying that there's anything nefarious going on there but I think you're absolutely naive to to think that it's not in the back of these minds of these officials officiating these games oh wow this guy's this guy's over there who might uh to run afoul of him and you know it, it could be subconscious but it might be there a little and so the, the gamesmanship piece comes in there with mike mckenzie where he just points it out you know maybe he's maybe says brings it from the subconscious to the conscious there's no question at all like nobody can deny i don't think anyway that there is an aura around budweiser gardens the london knights mark and dale hunter when they walk into any media room it's almost like one of those things where all eyes are on, oh, one of the hunters is here. So there's absolutely an aura. And I'll tell you this much for free. If I'm Mike McKenzie, I'm doing exactly the same thing after game two that he did because his team came into the second round of the playoffs following a first round sweep of the top seeded Windsor Spitfires when Kitchener obviously took advantage of a vulnerable Windsor club sweeps them aside, makes OHL history, and then comes into London. And after a couple of games, basically, if I can put it this way, got punched in the mouth, lose five to one, lose eight to four. If I'm the head coach of that hockey club, what do I want to do? I want to do exactly what Mike McKenzie did. I want to change the channel completely. I'm not going to rag on my players. I know that something has to be done and that we'll regroup and work on this and that and come back on home ice, et cetera, et cetera. But I want to, I want to do everything I can to not talk about the game. And so the gamesmanship I thought, frankly, was very well played by Mike McKenzie and to make, to take it a step further because of this aura that the London Knights and the hunters have. And I will insist to you though, I don't know this for certain, but I will insist to you that they love it. They love being kind of the team that everybody hates. They love being the heel, if you will, of the Ontario Hockey League. Every good story needs a good villain. And I think the Hunters and the Knights relish that role. So Mike McKenzie can play right into that aura and that role that everybody knows they have. And what's everybody been talking about for 48 hours between game two and game three? The entire Ontario Hockey League fan base is lathered up about this right now. And I say, good job, Mike McKenzie, $5,000 well spent. That's my honest take on it. Oh, for sure. Like, you, you hit the nail on that. Like the London Knights are the New York Yankees, right? They're internally successful. They, they've got probably the most money, the most resource. They have all these reasons for people to hate them. But the main one is that they're good. And they have this aura about them. Um, and when you put it in the context of having to beat them, when they have home ice advantage and you see what's going on, things are kind of going off the rails. And you're right. Mike McKenzie doesn't necessarily want to talk about that game. Things aren't going well. And there's also a little more context here too. When you go back to round one, when the power play advantages were way in Windsor's favor and it felt like four games where that team was was getting 
a lot more opportunity than you were too. So that's six straight games in the playoffs, most important time of year where they're feeling a little shortchanged by the officiating. And I think as a coach GM, you handle your piece in the room with the team or yeah, we got to be more disciplined and smarter. And then externally, you feel like you got to have their backs too, and maybe say something because we're to get, we're getting the short end of the stick here. And you got to point that out. And that's just, I, I'm, I'm just referencing the mentality Mike McKenzie probably has there. He's having the team's back publicly. And that's all that is. So let me just present to you. And I present these without any analysis. These are just the cold, hard numbers. Okay. After game two, versus London. So six games into these 2023 playoffs, the Kitchener Rangers had been assessed 29 penalties. They had been awarded 15 power plays. So let's just call it two to one penalties against power plays. If you were to turn back the clock about 18 months to the fall of 2021, Mark Hunter, general manager of the London Knights, noticed that his team, particularly on home ice, was only getting half as many power play opportunities as the opposing teams. This was a couple of months, let's call it 15 or so, 20 games into the new OHL season, 21-22. And he made a point of this. He says, why are we getting only half the number of power plays, especially on home ice? And he raised the issue with the league. And the same week that the issue was raised with the league, the London Knights played the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds and the Greyhounds took the first five penalties of that game. Over the next handful of games, I believe it was 10 to two, something like that. But there was a very lopsided number of power plays in London's favor. Again, I'm just giving you the numbers. And one more number, after Mike McKenzie, having been out penaltied, if you will, 29 to 15, killed off 29, only awarded 15. The next game, game three versus the Knights, the Rangers are awarded six power plays. The Knights are awarded four. In the series, London still has 17 power plays to the Rangers 11. But those six power plays awarded to the Rangers in that game, which was the seventh game of the playoffs for the London Knights, was the first game in which their opponent was awarded more than four power plays. I know that's a lot of numbers. I'm just giving you numbers. I'm not offering any editorial on those numbers or any analysis of those numbers. That's just the way the numbers look. Do with them as you wish. Can I offer a little bit of editorial on that just quickly? Uh... Of course you can. That's what we're here for. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, you can look at that and say, well, Mike McKenzie makes the comment. Suddenly they finally get more power plays than the opponent. I'd say an important other piece to note that was different between game three and games one and two is that the Kitchener Rangers moved their legs. When you're skating hard and playing hard, you tend to draw more penalties. You tend to have more opportunities. You have the puck more. So you're defending less, taking fewer penalties. So generally speaking, you get what you deserve in this league. And, and I hate the argument that, Oh, you know, the penalties are imbalanced. Therefore, someone's got to be out to get us. I've seen plenty of games where one team deserved 10 times as many penalties as the other. It happens. You play that way. You deserve what you get. It's not the referee's job to keep it three power plays for each team. It's partly on you. Having said all of that, the last thing I'm just saying the whole thing is when you're the opponent, the London Knights are probably looking at saying, well, well, yeah, Kitchener, stop whining with getting more power plays and just be more disciplined. Stop taking stupid penalties. I mean, on Kitchener's side, you're saying, 
the referees jobbing us here. They're giving us way more penalties than the others. And you know what? Both can be right. Both can be right. There's probably there's bias involved. Probably when there's a big imbalance, you're playing a little less discipline than the other team. And maybe the refs aren't giving you as many breaks as they should. So, yeah, I think your your point about taking a deep breath and and, and maybe stepping back is is appropriate here. I think there's still one other aspect of this series and this kind of gamesmanship uh, to talk about. There's another Western Conference series still to touch on, and the OHL draft comes up later this week, so we have to discuss that as well. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. But as we keep it with this series for just a moment longer, I'm wondering, Dan, how you feel about this gamesmanship. Mike McKenzie's comments after Game 2 were responded to after sober second thought about 24 hours later in the newspaper by Knights GM Mark Hunter. And he basically said, look, the Rangers earned every penalty that they got. What about this player and that player? Interestingly, he actually named players, which is kind of a no-no. You're not supposed to call out players by name, but that was the point. And he also erroneously said that Mike McKenzie doesn't care about fines because the taxpayers of Waterloo Region pay those fines because it's a community owned team. That's complete and utter bunk. Mark's just, <laughs> he was either, he was either being deliberately provocative or he just doesn't quite understand the model, but the Rangers run a business just like every other team in the Ontario hockey league. Pete's are community owned too. And they have to take that money though for those fines out of revenues, just like the hunters would have to out by the way, the London Knights are the most wealthy franchise in the entire Canadian Hockey League. So if Mark or Dale ever have to dig for $5,000, they're not digging too deep. They can probably find it in the sofa cushions in the coach's office. But anyway, that that aside, there was, there was back and forth. And I mentioned earlier in this episode of our podcast, Dan, that this is something that's been going on for a very long time between the London Knights and the Kitchener Rangers. And I just wonder, as much as I think that Mike McKenzie made a smart play here to take the focus off what was what were the scores 13-5 being outscored in games 1 and 2 is this getting a little tired is this back and forth like on the one hand I kind of like it because even if you're not interested in the games you might get interested in the series because of what's going on but I don't know I don't know like this 
we can trace this back probably 15 years between the Rangers and the Knights. And obviously not just these two teams. I just wonder how you feel overall about this as a tactic. Personally, I don't like it. I know there's probably people out there going to say, what are you talking about? This is great. It adds emotion, intensity, it adds drama. I personally don't like it. I play the game on the ice. Be a role model for those watching it. Temper down the the tantrums, if you will. I mean, let's let's the gamesmanship. Maybe there's a little bit of place to try and get it in, in your opponent's head, but there's another component here too, which it can backfire. One of the tenets we always operated on growing up in hockey was don't give the opponent bulletin board material. And you know, you're right. Uh, it's a little questionable seeing Mark Hunter call a player out by name. Said player scored a goal yesterday, so maybe. Maybe it backfired, uh, but you, you, generally speaking, there's you, you toe close to a line, maybe you cross it, and that's not what you're you're aiming to do. I prefer to play the games on the ice. Yeah, the emotions are high after a game when things didn't go your way or you saw something that you didn't like, ruffled your feathers. Keep it on the ice, beat them on the scoreboard. That's the bottom line for me. I, I agree with you. It gets tired, Mike. I don't want to see the the battles waged in the in the newspapers, on the radio, and and what have you. Let's let's do it on the ice and maintain some class and decorum here if we can hey some of us still try to make our living in radio okay so if these guys want to do it on the radio i'll take it (laughs) any more listening i can get uh that player that you just mentioned who scored the goal after being called out by the knights gm in the paper uh ty hallett and i don't know if you noticed this in the game on uh sunday dan but ty hallett scored in the final minute of the game versus london and when they're in the final minute of the game a local restaurant offers free chicken nuggets to every fan in attendance if the Rangers score. Well, Ty Hollett scores in the final minute. Free chicken nuggets for everybody. So Ty Hollett proceeds to celebrate with the little chicken wing as he went back to the bench, and he got a 10-minute misconduct for taunting. I, I'm i not trying to say the refs did anything wrong. I just think that's amusing as hell. <laughs> I wanted to share it. it it's that's well put. It's amusing. I think that the referee absolutely misinterpreted it. Now, I you're talking to a guy that hates taunting, so I would absolutely give a guy a penalty anytime there's taunting. I hate it. You score a goal, go to your bench. No need for the nonsense. Um, having said that, I think that's what the ref thought. Maybe their emotions were running high here. That looked like a taunt. Um, it, he just misinterpreted what happened, so it, just, it was just amusing. The uh, Saginaw Spirit down 0-2, heading back onto home ice versus the Sarnia Sting, but uh, you and I both thought the Sting would would win this series. You had him in six. I had him in five. Uh, I just think the the Spirit are a real nice story. Uh, I like them a lot. I like what they were able to do in round number one, finishing it off in seven. I just think they might be overmatched here. So this one probably going the way I expected. But as was said after Kitchener lost both games in London, a series is never over until you lose one on home ice. Yeah, and I would also argue it, it, it. It's hard to really say they're terribly overmatched when you're looking at how close those games are. I mean, went went to overtime again in in game two. Spirit are giving those Sarnia Sting everything they can handle, and a bit of a younger team, and it's just impressive when you you're incredibly well coached and organized. They come out hard every game, and they've got a terrific goaltender there with Tristan Lennox. So I think when you put those elements at play, anything's possible, and we've seen. Both the Guelph Storm and now the Saginaw Spirit punch a few holes uh, in the, that Sarnia Sting team and expose a couple weaknesses. And Sarnia is a really potent team. I mean, they obviously are the favorite on paper. It's going to be a Herculean task to try and unseat them here. But I'm not selling Saginaw even a dollar short here because those games have been tooth fight, tooth and nail fights so far, and they're going back home now. And I expect this. we haven't heard the end of the Saginaw Spirit this year. 
I'm glad you mentioned Tristan Lennox. He was lights out in the game on Sunday, game two of that series. Any fan that got to take in Sarnia Saginaw at the, uh, oh my gosh, Progressive Auto Sales, blanked on the name of the arena, sorry, Sarnia, uh, got to take in that game or watched it on the CHL app, however you're consuming the games. What a goaltending performance they got from both sides. Godro was great for Sarnia, but Tristan Lennox, the Cambridge kid, was right there, save for save, with one of the best in the league. That was that was a fun game, too, and we'll see what happens when it shifts back to the Dow. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a really entertaining series, and I think one of the takeaways for me this entire season is that if you buy a ticket that has the Saginaw spirit on it for the game you're about to watch, you're going to get your money's worth. Team's fun to watch. They've got a lot of elements in that lineup that entertain you regardless of the outcome. So, yeah, I agree with you. Going home to that uh, raucous crowd in Saginaw, I think they, they, they're going to have some more to say this week. One of the things that I've always found curious about this league, I mean, I, get, I guess I get it. I don't know. Like, you can't wait till after the Memorial Cup to do your Ontario Hockey League draft. That time's getting pretty close to NHL draft. I don't know. But I've always found it interesting, especially – working in Kitchener where for the longest time head coach and GM were the same person from Pete DeBoer to Steve spot uh, to Mike McKenzie for a little bit. And I guess is the case right now, even as the interim, but the coach kind of has to get really distracted. Not only are they trying to scout while they're coaching, but then draft comes along while you're in the midst of the playoffs. And that's the week that we're in as the OHL draft begins with round one on Friday and then continues uh, for the rest of the rounds on Saturday. The name Ryan Rubrick was at the top of so many lists for so long, but as we get closer and closer to draft day, it might not be a foregone conclusion that a Rubrick is the first name going to be called. Obviously, Ryan's older brother is already playing in the league with the Oshawa Generals. Yeah, and, and there's a chance they could be reunited in Oshawa. I'm saying that the top end of the draft, from what I'm hearing, is there's there's six or seven names that are in that conversation for those top six or seven picks. And and looks like a couple have kind of risen to the top, and Ryan Rubrick is certainly there. Um, but it's not inconceivable that he could be available to Oshawa, uh, picking six and seven in that range, because there's just enough talent at the top of that draft that there's a whole lot of good players that are going to go early in that draft, and it's a bit up in the air at this point. I was chatting with one of the scouts in London uh, on Friday, Thursday or Friday, it doesn't matter which day, but we got talking about the upcoming OHL draft and, and you nailed it, Dan. I mean, for people that watch it far, clo- far more closely than I, uh, they're talking about a, a good number of high-end prospects in this draft. It, it tails off fairly quickly after the first round, but the top end guys are really top end guys. And and I want to give a shout out to the local kid who I know, you know, as well as I do. And that's Brady Martin out of Elmira played with the Waterloo Wolves, just won the Alliance championship, uh, a five game thriller versus the London junior Knights. That was a lot of fun, but Brady Martin made a name for himself, not just through the season, but at the OHL cup, then into that Alliance championship and, and credit to a colleague, Josh Brown with the Waterloo region record, who had a terrific story on Brady Martin in the paper this week. Uh, and it talked about his life on the farm, the chores that he's still doing every day. There was a quote from Brady saying, you know, if hockey doesn't work out, I've always got the farm. Pump your brakes there, Brady. Hockey's going to be just fine for you, pal. He also described himself as a hate to lose kind of player, which is one of my favorite kinds of players. So uh, I'm hearing it could be anywhere from one to three 
or a guy like Brady Martin. So I'll be watching closely to see where our local kid goes on the high end of uh, of this Friday's draft. Yeah, and being a local kid in this area, I'm sure there were some Kitchen Ranger and Guelph Storm fans salivating at the opportunity to get him. And, you know, two months ago, it might have been quite possible. But watching some of those games in the OHL Cup and watching what Brady Martin did, basically putting the team on his back. And that's not taking anything away from the team. They were terrific. The Waterloo Waterloo Wolves really represented themselves extremely well at that on that stage. But Brady Martin was next level. Yeah, I just works his tail off every shift and and could make something out of nothing. We saw him score a goal as the the last few ticks of the clock were were, were expiring and he just streaked down the ice. Kids got in, incredible offensive instincts as well. So I'm hearing the exact same thing, Mike. You were be surprised if he's he lost past three in this draft. We'll have obviously more to talk about on that score next week on the OHL podcast when we've seen who's drafted who. And I mean, I, I'm just going to say it. Uh, does anybody report to Niagara right now? That is a, that's a tough spot for the ice dogs to be in the way the season has gone for them. And and I'm not hearing a lot of nice things around that. These are, these are young men and, and parents are going to be turning their kids over to an organization, hoping that they develop not only as hockey players, but as people. So we'll see. I I want everybody to succeed here. I wish everybody the best, but that'll be interesting. So we'll be able to talk more about that stuff uh, next week on our next episode. I guess the last thing to do this week, Dan, is we've moved away from prospect of the week because we're down to fewer teams now to watch. So we're just picking a player of the week that has stood out to us. And I'll start with you, who you got this week. All right, I'm gonna, I had two guys, so I'm going to hope I didn't pick the one that steps on your toes. But uh, I, I flipped a coin, and and my guy this week is I'm going to go with Kyle McDonald on the North Bay Battalion, Mike. Big big kid got his contract signed with Dallas earlier in the year, and has carried that momentum right into the playoffs. Uh, potted two more goals in the in the second game of the series to get up to nine already in the playoffs, and he's just a uh, a load to handle for the opposing D and they haven't been able to do it yet. So, so my player of the week, uh, performer of the week uh, is Kyle McDonald. Mike, who you got? Uh, was the other side of your coin, Sean McGurn by chance? It was not. So okay, it was good. On your toes. <laughs> uh, it's hard to overlook uh, Brant Clark or Luca Pinelli for sure. But for me, uh, Sean McGurn's performance, particularly in game one versus Kitchener with four points, moving him from, I think it was, 15th or 16th in scoring all the way up to fourth. Uh, he's had points in every one of the night's playoff games so far, but he's running right up near the top and he's got six points in the three games versus Kitchener so far in round number two. Obviously there's some bias, I guess, from the, the personal viewings I'm getting, but also I I'm really aware of last year in the playoffs when it was Kitchener, London, and there was all the talk about Evangelista and Strongest. And when London, remember, go back to the beginning of this regular season, where are the Knights going to get goals from? Well, they're getting a ton of production at a really meaningful time from Sean McGurn. So he is my performer of the week. That's a great call. I'm putting up a ton of points already. And yeah, like I, I, having watched that series, yeah, it's it's easier to find the performers there. Uh, just to, And just to... Sh- Take away the shroud of mystery. My uh, my coin flip. My other honorable mention was Matias Sapovalov and and Saginaw, who's had a terrific playoff so far. So I, I just wanted to mention him too because he's deserving of that as well. We had some great performers this week. I was going to mention Sapovalov earlier when you were talking about the Saginaw spirit. And anytime you're buying a ticket to their game, you're getting 
something that's worth the price of admission, right? They they may have traded Minchikov, but they've got a Zane Perak. They've got Tristan Lennox, who we've already talked about. Sapovalov is another great example. So plenty to choose from, which is good. And we'll uh, continue doing this as the playoffs progress. Okay, as we wrap things up, I always like to look ahead to Friday's episode with our feature-length interview. And I, I'm pretty excited for this one. He's honestly a guy that I've been trying to get for a while. He scored one of the biggest goals in Peterborough Pete's history. And I actually think it was because I ended up getting not one, but two of his previous uh, St. Effects teammates on. So he won a youth sports championship with the St. Effects men's hockey team, but two of his teammates have been on before. And I think they were like, come on, I won't give the name. Uh, go on, go on Farwell's show. Like talk to him for, so he's coming up on Friday. Uh, like I said, one of the biggest goals in Peterborough Pete's history he has he has won everywhere he has played. OHL championship, U Sports Championship, Kelly Cup in the coast, like you name it, this guy is a winner. And his son is now playing in the Ontario Hockey League, having been traded from the Western Conference to the Eastern Conference this year. That's plenty of hints. You can figure out the rest or you can listen for our feature interview on Friday. <laughs> and can I just add that his son, I don't know if you need any more hands, but his son is a phenomenal player who's going to be a name you're going to know very soon. Yep. Uh, just like we were talking with Brady Martin coming into the O, this guy's son is already in the league and we will be talking about him for years to come for sure. Okay. That guy over there is Dan Mahar. Find him on Twitter at Dan Mahar. My name is Mike Farwell on Twitter at Farwell underscore. OHL. Send us an email anytime, please. OHL podcast at rogers.com. Let us know what you think. Give us some feedback. If there's a guest you want to hear from, let us know that as well. And we will continue bringing you the best coverage that you're going to find anywhere online for the Ontario Hockey League right here on the OHL podcast. Hi, I'm Emily Roger. And I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.